there. You're listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co-host, Kristen Edwards. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show today. Thanks for catching up with us after a bit of an impromptu Only Schoolers spring break. Gina and I kind of had a bit of a deluge as we headed into the homeschool homestretch. We're back on track again now. Some of you may have already finished up for the year. Yay. Some of you may still have miles to go before you sleep. You can do it. Uh, But whichever way things are shaping up at your house, we're glad you joined us today. Please go ahead and stop by our website, OnlySchoolers.com, to find our show notes and links to other things that you might find helpful. We've had a lot of requests for the copies of our transcripts because we are entertaining and informative. So if you visit our Etsy shop, just look for the Only Schoolers handle. There you'll find copies of transcripts since the day the show began. Just give us a few days after each new episode to get that one up and available. There are also some poetry tea time downloads and the must-have for this time of year, the Only Schoolers Homeschool Planner. And as always, thanks for continuing to tune in and for sharing the podcast with your friends. You can tag us on social media or pass the word in your homeschool group. We are on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And remember, you can always email us at onlyschoolers at gmail.com. So we've reached the letter H in our Only Schoolers trip through the alphabet. The first Thursday in May, that should have stood for hiatus. Now it could stand for huzzah, the year's done, or holy smokes, what happened? But it doesn't. So Kristen, why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about today on the podcast? Happily, and I'm laughing, so hopefully you can guess which one one of our H words. We are talking about human nature and humor. And let me tell you, at this time in the homeschool year, learning to work with human nature rather than against us, and not to mention a healthy dose of humor is absolutely essential to maintaining my sanity. Oh my gosh, yes. Usually around this time of year, my laughter kind of borders on the maniacal. <laughs> I'm like, ha, 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 ha. so where should we start? How do you think of human nature? What does it mean for you and especially for how it affects your homeschool? A few nights ago, we watched an old episode of Star Trek The Next Generation entitled True Q, the letter Q, uh, where a young woman discovers she's actually Q and a part of the Q continuum. So she's got amazing powers over the laws of physics, over time. Being Q means she can alter reality to match her whims. If she wants puppies, puppies appears. If if she wants to walk in the vacuum of space, she can do that. So John Delancey, he plays the recurring role of the character named Q, and he maintains that this girl cannot stay with humanity. She has to join the Q continuum, but of course, she doesn't want to leave her family. She doesn't want to leave the only life that she's ever known. So she thinks that she can resist using these immense powers, but Q maintains she is Q and she can't ignore it. And when push comes to shoves, she can't. She changes reality to suit her. She saves people who are imperiled because she's Q. It's the same way with human nature. I mean, there are things about the human species that are inevitable, things we can't change about what it means to be a human being. Now, we are not looking at sociological definitions because this is a half-hour show, but some of the biggies are things like, you know, we need to eat and we need to drink and we need to rest and we like to play. Um, Human nature means we're curious. We communicate with with one another and We often have really, really complicated rules of behavior. Can you think of anything I'm missing in that list? That just about covers everything for me anyway. Like you said, without going too deep into, you know, what is human nature? Because between the two of us and our years of experiencing human nature, that would be like at least a four-hour show. 
But (laughs) we got a lot of experience. But if I can pull out some of what I remember from September sociology class last year, human nature is really the bedrock of what it means to be a human being. To define it here, we're going to be talking about the fundamental dispositions and characteristics that human beings have just naturally occurring. In plain terms, human nature is the essence of what it means to be a human. When it comes to homeschooling, you can ignore these things at your own peril. But if you use these basic traits to your advantage, you can help your homeschool flourish. So with our handy human nature list in mind, where do you think we should start? Well, it's kind of getting close to lunchtime as we're recording, so how about we start with food, drink, and rest? Yes. (laughs) I am always amazed that our brains suck up so many calories just to keep running. It's like, you know, 20% of our resting metabolic rate. I mean, it's a lot. And it's the same thing with water. I mean, even mild dehydration, say 1% to 3% of your body weight, can really mess up your brain function. So if you're an adult, that's one thing. But if you're a kid who weighs 50 or 60 pounds, then a cup of water makes a huge difference. You know, I don't think I've ever heard those numbers before, but it really does make sense. September and I have our electric kettle going all day, so maybe all that tea drinking and hydration is the key to our lovely days that we have. There's nothing like a cup of tea to slow you down. You can't gulp it. It's too hot. You have to sip it and savor it. There's no rushing it. It just takes the time it takes to drink your cup of. And that's a good thing because as humans, in addition to the hydration part that you were talking about, we also need that rest. Now I realize not everyone's a tea drinker like us, but I do hope that everyone out there has some sort of ritual that consciously slows them down at some point during the day. Because taking that time to rest, taking those breaks, it is so essential to having a good day. I honestly think the Europeans have it right with that idea of an afternoon siesta. I am all about that. I also think the idea of being busy can be an actual addiction. Like we think we're earning all these points by trying to be busier than somebody else. What kind of wacko game is that? It's not one I want to play. We really need to stop glorifying this idea of being busy because you can be totally productive and totally rested. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. No, they're not. And added to hydration and rest, we also need food. I am someone who can get hangry. Angry because I'm actually hungry. Why it can be the exact same way. So when things kind of hit the skids in our homeschool, one of the questions I've really trained myself to ask is, am I hungry? Is he hungry? And of course, since why it's been a teenage boy the past several years, the answer is, yes, he's always hungry. Always, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always. But I definitely second the have a break, have a bite to eat, get something to drink. You know, keeping all of the animals fed and watered and rested, especially this two-legged variety, that's, that's just really good advice. What's next on the list? Well, if we look at the stuff that we were rattling off earlier, the next ones that I can think of that we said were play and curiosity. So I really think those two we're just going to toss together because in my experience, when it comes to homeschool, they go hand in hand. So how have you made use of play and curiosity in homeschool? Oh, absolutely. They go hand in hand. And not just when kids are little. I mean, even when they're older, play is such a crucial way for kids to learn how to figure things out for themselves. But it does start way back at the beginning when they're itty bitty things. You know, Wyatt loved to play with blocks when he was little and he had big cardboard blocks and the wooden blocks with the letters and the numbers on the sides. And we had the geometric shaped wood blocks and mega blocks, lots and lots of blocks. Through playing with those, he quickly learned how important it is to build a good foundation because he saw 
how his tower of blocks could be a lot higher, the bigger his foundation was, bigger than if it was just like a single block stacked on top of another single block. And like playing outside on the swing set, kids might encounter something unexpected, like a toad or a bird that sparks curiosity. And that moment is a launching pad for learning because they ask, oh, what's this? Or, or why can birds fly, but, you know, toads can't fly? You read a book about Thomas Edison and light bulbs might pique their curiosity and suddenly your kid wants to learn more about electricity. And so you go out and invest in a set of snap circuits to play with because play and curiosity go hand in hand. And the possibilities are endless. Taking piano lessons might spark an interest in learning about sound waves and suddenly it's not a music lesson, it's really a science lesson. And a session of playing dress up and wearing a goofy wig might lead to a history lesson about the history of wigs. And if you have a fashion conscious kiddo, fashion, I mean, that is a great way to study history and sociology. So did you know that wigs have been around since like 2700 BC in Egypt and they made hair wigs out of human hair, but they would also use like cloth and palm leaves and the kind of wigs you wore showed your social status? That's kind of fun. I wonder what kind of wigs two podcasting homeschool moms would get. (laughs) Hopefully something really nice. We deserve it. But okay, we're talking about playing curiosity. So we live about a block from a really nice city park. And when September was little, we'd walk up there every day, even though we had a play structure in our own backyard. The play structures of the park were, of course, much bigger, much more elaborate, lots more to do. So many different shapes and sizes. And I remember one time we just got into this really long discussion about cylinders because she was playing on the slides. That led to this discussion about other shapes and which ones were best to play on and which shapes made the best slides. And we even started talking about which structure shapes at the park would be the best protection against a storm because she was hugely interested in that at the time. And we were always looking at the clouds trying to see if a storm was coming in. So you might be thinking, okay, we're just going to go up to the park to play. But for us, it really was a curiosity seeking launch pad. We just flew off into all sorts of directions just by swinging and sliding. And I think to me, that's all what human nature is. It's it's just this connecting of everything and where we live and how we use it. So what else, now that we've talked about rest, relaxation, dehydration, um, hangriness, (laughs) playing curiosity, (laughs) what else do we have with human nature, do you think? Um, Communication and the sometimes complex rules of behavior. So let's do communication first and then go to the behavioral rules. What do you have to say about communication as human nature and especially as part of your homeschool? Well, I think it's important to remember that everything is communication. We really get stuck, I think, into thinking that verbal communication is all that counts, but nonverbal communication makes up so much more of our interaction. The eye rolls, the hand gestures, the hugs, the cold shoulders, it all says something. And it's especially important to remember that behavior is communication. So when your kid is kicking things down the hall, he's communicating with you. Something's going on with me. Help me sort this out. Or when your child is just skipping and whistling in the backyard, yep, that's communication too. I'm happy. Something feels good today. I've learned to focus a lot less on words in communication and more on the behavior that's surrounding the words. And please, please, please remember that when I say behavior, that's not necessarily bad. 
Somehow in our society, we've attached this negative connotation to the word, and that's really detrimental. There's all kinds of behavior. So, so don't get caught up into thinking, oh, it's a behavior that's bad. Nope, a lot of behaviors are very good. So when you expand your idea of what communication entails, you realize there are so many ways to communicate with your kids. There's so many ways to just stay connected there. One of the things that Rich and I say a lot to each other is that behavior is the truth. People can say lots of things because they think that's what we want to hear. But if you look at people's behavior and the communication that comes through that behavior, you will see the truth. Oh, absolutely. So if somebody says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I treat you like dirt, 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 the behavior is the truth. And that behavior really is a, a form of communication. And it's important to really acknowledge that. But as a writing instructor, one of the things that I saw as important with communication is the idea that it's a two-way street. If you're writing in English and the reader only reads and writes in Russian, then zero communication has taken place because communication is about sending a message and then having that message received. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're speaking aloud, if you're using American Sign Language, if you're writing, if you're texting. Messages have to be sent and received before communication has taken place. And as parents and especially homeschool teachers, a lot of that heavy lifting is on us. We need to make sure that we're not turning into the Charlie Brown teachers with our kids, you know, wah, 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 wah. (laughs) I think I come across that way a lot. Communication, it's about being psychologically visible. It's its listening and working to understand what they're saying. And understanding is a way of showing kids, you know, I see you. I see the real you that's in there. And sometimes that can be hard because we are talking about kids and the kid jargon and all the new slang. And I'm sure our parents went, with, went through it with us. But ay, 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 it can be really hard to keep up with everything. I mean, tea's not just tea. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, how many times have you been in Urban Dictionary trying to figure out what the heck some acronym or some strange piece of slang means? All the time. Yes. Uh, actually, I remember the first time you said, oh, let's let's sit down for some tea. And I was like, I spill the tea. She's not, yeah. talk- <laughs> She's not talking about a drink here. Right. Yeah. We don't need napkins. Just open your ears. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was late to the party because up until a few weeks ago, I had actually totally missed the term Rickrolled. But <laughs> since then, I have seen that about a bajillion times. I mean, how did I miss this memo? I don't know. You're not um, hanging around enough girls. <laughs> if, if slang and jargon and acronyms can be confusing, you know, that's really nothing compared to the tendency for human beings to have these super complicated rules of behavior. And then the rules change from culture to culture because some places it's rude to belch at the dinner table and in other places it's rude not to belch at the dinner table. And when we're talking about homeschooling, those rules of behavior, they get more complicated and more challenging as your kids get older. Oh, sure. Because what's okay to do for a little one may not be okay when your kids get older. Because there's all these things that we automatically do with communication, verbal and nonverbal, with a small child, like we hold hands while we cross the street, or we give more explicit directions or whatever. And those really aren't necessary with older kids, because I can't remember the last time I reached for September's hand in a crowd, although I used to do it all the time when she was little. Absolutely. And then there are the things like learning 
your own kids' uniquely complicated behaviors, you know, their human nature, where some kids are introverted, some are extroverted, some are a combination of the two. Some kids really easily navigate social situations and decipher behaviors of other kids and figure out social rules for groups of kids. Other times, there are kids who will really struggle with that. Some kids are really easygoing and easily guided. Other kids, like mine, can be as stubborn as the day is long. So figuring out his unique, complicated behavior has required some thinking and some serious, sneaky planning. Uh, I learned that I needed to make him think that things were his idea rather than trying to make him do something. Our unschooling definitely came out of this particular aspect of his human nature. And I mean, since I know you have no stubborn people living in your house, what are your thoughts on complicated patterns of behavior in human nature, especially as they affect day-to-day homeschooling? (laughs) No stubborn people. That's a good one. My girl and I, we are two peas in a pod when it comes to stubbornness. I can't even blame her dad for that. It's it's pretty much all me. But fortunately, most of the time, we're not really stubborn with each other. I mean, there there's some times when I want certain things done at a certain time and she wants to do them at a different time. But I have to say that mostly it's us digging in our heels with outside situations and being stubborn in that regard because we really kind of have slipped into this comfortable pattern. I'm trying to think... I. I can't remember the last time that we had like a behavioral conflict with each other, really. You know, like I said, we might not always agree on the best time or place to get something done, but we're kind of getting really good at this point at the art of compromise. I think, though, that could be a bit unique because it is just the two of us. We are together all the time and we really are in tune with each other and kind of keyed into what the other's thinking. To me, that's a benefit of our only schooling. I only have to understand the behavior patterns of one kid. She only has to understand me. And we can take it day by day and adjust to the fluctuations that might pop up. Because we're not factoring in the behavior patterns of other household members, uh, other kids, another parent, grandparent, whatever you have. I mean, that doesn't count the cats, of course. And honestly, their behavior patterns can be a lot more challenging. (laughs) That is no joke. But dump bump. And there you have it. The official segue to the second part of today's show, which is humor. And let me just say, for the record, way more than understanding algebra or the periodic table of elements, way more than a love of literature or history or anything, the single most important thing for a homeschool parent to possess is a sense of humor. Absolutely. What is it that Ethel Barrymore said? You grow up the day you have your first real laugh at yourself. I think that's true about life in general, but it is utterly essential when it comes to homeschool. What do you think? Oh, totally agree. Humor has saved many a day in a homeschooling journey. Okay, so over the years, I've taught a lot of Shakespeare. I've taught college kids. I've taught homeschool co-op kids. Tragedy, we always do a tragedy in the fall. Springtime, we always, you know, it's, it's nice. It's sunny outside. So it's a comedy in the spring. And Actually, this summer, a lot of those kids are super excited because they're doing one of their favorite plays, which is Twelfth Night. Everybody loves Twelfth Night. I love Twelfth Night. But it's a Shakespeare in the Park sort of setting next month. So they're, they're thinking that's pretty fun. But anyway, one of the things I always make sure of is that students understand that there's a very basic structural difference between a comedy and a tragedy. So tragedies run from a sense of order to chaos. So... At the beginning of Hamlet, we've got a ghost on the loose and lots of moody broody going on, but there's order in the kingdom. You know, Claudius is on the throne, Gertrude is his queen, 
And by the end of the play, you know, the king's dead, the queen's dead, the heir to throne's dead, just a whole lot of dead on the stage. And here comes Fortinbras clanking off to clean up the mess. And I was like, imagine the headlines of all those newspapers in Denmark the next day. <laughs> that would actually make kind of a fun writing assignment if you were doing Hamlet. Country in mourning after bloodbath at Elsinore leaves the royal family dead. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it'd be about as good as the headlines for Macbeth. <laughs> But, you know, where tragedy moves from order to chaos, comedies actually go in the opposite direction. So in the opening of the play, there's always a big mess. There's chaos. There's a misunderstanding. Um, maybe it's a shipwreck. Sometimes it's a romantic matchup that's not working. But the difference is at the end of a comedy, order has been restored to partners of the romance or back together. If there was a misunderstanding, it's been resolved. So if there's a science experiment gone awry or a burnt lunch sending off the fire alarms, if there's a disastrous failure of the craft projects, those are the chaotic elements of comedy. And humor helps us rediscover our center and our balance and our sense of order and the idea that everything will be okay. I just love the way that all fits together. I mean, Shakespeare, smart dude. So... <laughs> Seriously, the chaos of your burnt lunch might resolve in the order of a guacamole to go with the chips at your favorite Mexican restaurant when you just laugh it off and go out to eat. I mean, even the best laid plans are not immune to some chaos. We recently took a road trip to Georgia. So we started in Atlanta, moved to Savannah, Tybee Island, and then headed back. I've been to Atlanta before, and I had all of these things that I wanted to show September, but some stuff was closed because of the pandemic. Some stuff was closed because of construction. Some stuff was closed because we don't know why it just was. It was a little bit frustrating, but we just kept moving on. You know, next thing on the list, let's find out. And you, you get to the point where you just sort of laugh it off because you have to find the fun in the situation. And we're like, well, we'll just come back, you know, at a different time and do all this stuff again. Because in my opinion, laughing is almost always better than crying. It makes for better road trip memories anyway. Mark Twain is dead on when he says that the human race has one really effective weapon, and that is laughter. Because laughter and humor... It is the best medicine. What's a time that laughter has saved your bacon as you've been homeschooling? <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> the maniacal laughter might kick in here. Um, mostly I've had to laugh as mud came into the house because it's either laugh or yell, why are you tracking mud in the house? Which I honestly should have done when the guys delivered the mattress a few months ago, but I didn't. September's reply when I would see mud coming into the house was always like, I'm not dirty or grimy, mom. I'm natureful. I remember this one time I sent her to play outside, which apparently she immediately interpreted as find the nearest swampy area and go wild because she was a mess when she came in. I mean, mud everywhere, clothes, legs, arms, hair, the whole nine yards. So later, after she cleaned herself up and she, she was in this stage where she, was, she would lay out outfits for the week. And I could hear her planning her outfits. And she was muttering to herself, well, I'd like to wear those shorts on Tuesday if the mud comes out. If it doesn't, well, at least I had a good experience. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just like, okay, we're going to laugh because I don't think the mud's coming out of those shorts. I mean, she's a lot more nocturnal and indoors these days. So the mud stays where it's supposed to be, thankfully, outside. But what about you? Has humor ever come to your rescue? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember... Same sort of outdoorsy kind of thing. Maybe five years ago, six years ago, Wyatt had a habitat for a bunch of gray tree frogs that he found outside. So he captured them in early spring and he kept them all summer and through the winter. Then we released them the next summer when the temperatures warmed up. So 
over the span that we had them, we ended up investing in a good sized habitat for them. And I think, oh, we maybe had eight or nine frogs and they all had names like Whitey and Spot and Alcatraz. That was the one that always tried to escape. Uh, he called Bird one man. of them Pete because, yeah, I guess everybody needs a frog named Pete. Anyway, so we had these incredibly spoiled gray tree frogs that ate crickets that we got at the pet shop. And, you know, sometimes he'd catch bugs outside and bring them in. And after a while, between the frogs and the crickets, he'd need to clean out the habitat. So we'd wait until the frogs had eaten all the crickets. Then before we put the new bag of crickets in, we'd clean it. So we'd have to put the frogs someplace, right? One time I came in to see how the, the cleanout was going. And there are frogs all over the dining room table, the windows, the walls. I mean, it's like a scene out of the Ten Commandments with the plagues of Egypt. And I'm, you know, looking around for Charlton Heston <laughs> to show up as Moses or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all set to read Wyatt the Riot Act when this frog literally jumps on my head. And I'm like, I'm sorry. There's just no way to yell at a kid when you've got a frog on your head. Not unless you're yelling, ribbit. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, I've always actually been kind of thankful for that frog because, yes, there were frogs all over and they escaped. But honestly, cosmic steam, it was not a big deal. There was no harm done. And it was startling, and I think that's why my first reaction was to anger. But look, it was a far better thing to laugh at the fact that there are frogs all over, including me, and then just move on with the day, you know, make sure they're all accounted for. If I would have yelled, you know, then he would have yelled, and then the whole rest of the day is filled with this residual anger. So, you know, these are just a couple of examples of goofy things that have, that have happened. But there's another kind of humor that I want to touch on, and that's the catchphrase, you know, a goofy phrase that means more than the words that you just happen to say. What catchphrases do you in September have that you use with each other or that you use to diffuse situations that go so they don't go sideways? Well, it's funny that you talk about that because Kevin and I talked in movie phrases a lot. I'm sure it was kind of annoying to other people. And it's something that actually September and I do too, just based on whatever movie we watched or whatever show we happen to be binging. We're always saying that we shouldn't be allowed in public because we really start to get ourselves cracked up over our one-liners. And it's only funny to the two of us. I mean, everyone else is like, we have no clue what you just said. But one of the things lately that we say a lot, um, I'm always telling her on your left, which is from the Avengers. And it's just kind of our shorthand way of saying right beside you slick, gotcha, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I'm on your side. We also quote a lot from Psych. Um, it's probably one of our favorite binge-watching shows ever. So if she's getting a little bit sassy or something, I'll say, hold still, Gus, let me flick you. Because it was a little joke within the show that no one else would get. And they're probably like, why are you calling her Gus? But she knows what I'm doing and what I mean when I say that. Or if we mess up a fact or an answer or something, it's always... I've heard it both ways because Sean always said that when it was laughingly obvious that there was no way he heard it the way that he said it. It's just kind of a little funny thing of saying like, I don't think you got that right. But what about you? Oh, we watch a lot of classic sitcoms over the years, you know, Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffith, Brady Bunch, Newhart. You know, so a lot of expressions are things from those shows that have slipped into everyday conversations. You know, if I'm in the middle of something and I don't want to be interrupted, I might say, don't bother me, Wally, I'm sailing, which is actually something that Beaver says to Wally, uh, which sounds a lot friendlier than go away and don't bother me. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> don't bother me, Wally, I'm sailing. Um, sometimes if I'm being a little bit naggy, Wyatt might turn on the Eddie, Eddie Haskell and say, okay, okay, Sam, you know, which is what Eddie would say to Wally or Beaver when they would call him on the carpet at something. For us, 
okay, okay, Sam means I get it. Don't keep grinding away on. If one of us is procrastinating, um, we might say, 8B, call the man. Call the man. (laughs) Call the man. (laughs) I love that show. Do it. (laughs) Sometimes if, if one of us is being particularly dense, I'll hear somebody say, you know, I'm Larry and this is my brother Daryl. This is my other <laughs> brother Daryl. Like, there's the three of us. <laughs> Who's Larry today and who are the two Daryls? Right. Gonna... <laughs> That's a good one. But shared laughter over those things becomes a bond that joins us together. And you know what? The family that laughs together stays together. But really, we can't say it enough here on this podcast. Um, homeschool is about far more than reading, writing, arithmetic. At the end of the day, it's about that fourth R, relationship. That is the number one most important thing to come out of this audacious experiment that we're all in. Find the humor. Appreciate each other's humanness. Just enjoy this time. It really does go by so fast. No kidding. So here are our questions for you. Did you think anything we said today caused you to start thinking differently about your homeschool? If so, what? What's the funniest thing that ever happened in your homeschool? Flying frogs, mud through the house, hit us, let us know. How does accepting human nature make your homeschool journey easier? If you want to share, please join us on Facebook and Instagram at our handle, OnlySchoolers. Email us at OnlySchoolers at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, stop by our website, OnlySchoolers.com, and consider dropping a little love in our online tip jar. As one of my all-time favorite comedians said, I am so glad we've had this time together. And the Only Schoolers podcast will now be back in a couple of weeks with the letter I. Indubitably. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.